Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and the moderator for this meeting. Today is Sunday, January 17th, 2021. This year ID numbers for Friday, January 15th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 16,202. That's 16202. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 16,203. That's 16203. This morning, A Vision for You presents Step 3, A Decision for Relationship. Step 3, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. With the first step, we accepted the fundamental problem we face as compulsive overeaters, our powerlessness over food and the unmanageability of our lives. In the second step, we found the nature of the solution a power greater than ourselves who could restore us to sanity. In the third step, we discover how to make use of that solution by turning our will and our lives over to the care of that power. According to the AA 12 and 12, the effectiveness of the whole AA program will rest upon how well and earnestly we have tried to come to a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. The AA 12 and 12 also reminds us that each of us has had his own near-fatal encounter with the juggernaut of self-will and has suffered enough under its weight, to be willing to look for something better. What is that something better? The big book tells us. This is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. We could no longer insist on having our own way, on trying to control other people. I'm believing that we always know what's best for ourselves, the world, and everyone else. The self-centeredness of our compulsive overeating brought us little real or lasting pleasure. The rich meaning, the life of meaning and purpose and fulfillment that we hope to find in life continued to escape us. Even when we thought we knew best, we were often proven wrong. Step three continues the process of ego deflation begun in steps one and two by introducing the idea that our human will must be subordinated to a greater will, to the will of God as we understood God. Joining us today to share their reflections 
and elaborate on their experience with step three are three recovered compulsive overeaters. Our panelists this morning include Becca R. from Kentucky, Chuck K. from Georgia, and Dawn B. from California. We're going to take a look, particularly at the essay on Step 3 in the AA 12 and 12, and Becca R. is going to get us started. Welcome, Becca. Hi, good morning, Leah and all my fellows. Grateful to be here. Becca R., recovered compulsive overeater, calling in from Kentucky this morning. Um, and I just want to start with a little centering prayer, you know, um, to remind myself that this is my opportunity to be a conduit to my higher power. God, just help me. Help me to show my experience, strength, and hope of the third step to my fellows as an example of you. Amen. Okay, so getting into the third step. Um, you know, before I start diving into the text, I just want to share my third step experience. If you would have asked me if I had an aha moment with the third step, I probably would have said no. But now as a recovered person, I can look back and see that it might not have been an aha moment, but it was more similar to those spiritual experiences that are talked about in the back of the big book and the appendices on spiritual experience. It, something happened in that process um, that wasn't a burning bush experience. However, the practice of that third step um, started something for me. And what that looked like for me was beginning a practice in prayer and relationship with a higher power. So on step three in the table of contents, on page five, it has a little blip. It says step three is like opening a, a locked door. How shall we let God into our lives? Willingness is the key. Dependence as a means to independence. Dangers of self-sufficiency. Turning our will and power Misuse of willpower, sustained and personal exertion necessary to conform to God's will. And I actually was, as I was doing some um, Googling for, um, I was looking for a specific passage. And so I was Googling AA Big Book Self-Sufficiency 12 and 12. And, and that came up. And so I wanted to make sure to mention that. You know, the table of contents. And, um, you know, to me, it's kind of like this is the highlights, the cliff notes of what we're going to be studying. So I'm just going to break it down paragraph by paragraph, starting on page 34, step three. I have that the primary principle behind step three is faith. And I, like many of you guys, love looking up words and finding the definitions and faith. I found was a complete trust and confidence in someone or something. 
And another recurring word that we're going to read in the text is willingness. And so I want to go ahead and give you that definition as well. The quality or state of being prepared to do something. Readiness. And with those two definitions in mind, I really think for me, as I look back on my own step three experience, the willingness to begin practicing a belief in something or someone occurred in my step three experience. I love that the first paragraph begins with the word practicing talks about practicing step three is like opening a door, which to all appearances is still closed and locked. Practice is the actual application or use of an idea, belief, or method, as opposed to theories about such application or use. I had a lot of theories and judgments and opinions about others who practiced a spiritual belief. But there's another part in our text that says contempt prior to investigation. And that's what I was doing. I had a prejudged idea before ever trying it. And so as I came to step three with that still fresh desperation and willingness to do anything after coming to the rooms of recovery, At that point, I would have done whatever my sponsor suggested of me because I wanted what she had. I wanted the recovery that she had. I wanted the experience that she had. And she said, if you do what I did, you'll get what I got. And so as we went through step three and she shared how she has incorporated her own practice of faith and willingness to do that, I was able to see, okay, she's laid out the directions. This is what I'm going to do. She was very good about um, encouraging me to seek all kinds of information in developing this practice. Um, You know, we all have our own... um, beliefs and ideas when we come to this step. And so, of course, I took what what I knew and what I was interested in. And with this step, I can just remember her encouraging me to have a childlike curiosity. You know, instead of going at faith with these preconceived ideas or notions, approach it like a child, you know, I'm always so interested. My my father, my stepfather has, um, he's an amputee, and I'm always amazed at just how, you know, adults, we, we tend to look away from the amputee, but children will say, what happened, sir? What happened to your arm? Why is your arm gone? And they don't bring any preconceived ideas to it. It's a childlike curiosity. And so that's what was encouraged of me when I looked at these um, different ways to practice a faith, um, I love that it says in that first paragraph that the first two steps were focused on reflection, but step three is where the action begins. 
And I don't know about you guys, but I was ready to do something. I really wanted to do some action. You know, I was, um, by the time I got to step three, I had, you know, uh, maybe a couple weeks of abstinence and, um, you know, I felt, I still felt like I was crawling out of my skin because I wasn't recovered. You know, I was recovering. I was, I was doing the things one day at a time, but, um, I really wanted to take some action. And so this was nice because it tells me that this is, this is where the action begins. This is the way to a faith that works. Um, going on to the second paragraph, um, it, it refers to step three as a cause for affirmative action. So I was interested in that word as well. Affirmative action is the practice or policy of favoring individuals belonging to groups known to have been discriminated against previously. And isn't that my experience? Well, yes, it is. I had previously discriminated against people of faith, of people of practicing um, spirituality. And so the word affirmative action is, you know, I'm going to go to it like a ch- with a childlike curiosity and just see what happens. And I went through the action and, and slowly my step three experience began to reveal to me like, wow, you don't have to get upset about these little things during the day. Wow, you can go to God with these things. Oh, the food's talking? Let's use that affirmative action. Let's see how that works. And I began to incorporate these new tools into my life. Um, Faith alone can avail nothing is out of that second paragraph as well. And I love the analogies we hear in program of I can have faith that my higher power is going to take care of me. But if I'm not taking the action, if I'm being reckless or hurtful, then it, 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 it needs to be yoked with that faith. And um, I remember my sponsor using that term when we worked this step, you know, it's about yoking my will and my life with God's will. Um, and so I had to start, practicing the action, which meant for me what that looked like is that when I would get into the fear and the dishonesty and the selfishness and the self-centeredness, which I was newly recovered. I didn't really know when those were happening. I kind of lived in that, you know, tornado of fear and um, dishonesty and selfishness. But as I began to reach out to my fellows and have conscious contact with God and have contact with my fellows and my sponsor, I had people say, Hey, sounds like there's some fear here. Hey, sounds like there's some dishonesty. And as we learn through working the rest of the steps, there's appropriate action that we can take. Um, and then it just made me, it that faith alone can avail nothing passage reminded me of, Um, the part in chapter six of the big book that says faith without works is dead. You know, it is that faith combined with my action. And 
I don't know about you guys, but it took a lot of action to put down the food. It took a lot of action to incorporate this newfound freedom through faith and reliance upon a higher power. Um, I think of the fellows who, who say it's not for people who want it or need it. It's for people who do it. How do I do something? I'm taking the action. I'm starting to incorporate the little slogans, pause and pray, you know, um, do something different. I think about having that action plan as part of my tools of recovery, um, just breaking those cycles of behavior. Um, and then the very last sentence of that second paragraph in quotations, it reminds us that we've made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And I just can't talk about this step without commenting on the availability to a higher power as we understood him. It didn't have to belong to my sponsor. It didn't have to belong to the ideas of people on the line. It didn't have to belong to my spouse or my parents. It was a God as I understand him. Moving on to paragraph three. Um, It looks hard, even impossible. And that's what I felt like for some, for someone approaching a faith and a practice that I had never done, it did look hard, even impossible. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't have an opinion that it wasn't going to work. But I kept going back to that word that comes through this step through and through, and that's the willingness, you know. And my sponsor would ask me, are you willing to go to any lengths? Are you willing to go to any lengths? And geez, she wasn't asking me to go out and run a marathon or jump off a bridge. She was asking me to do like simple things like get down on my knees and pray twice a day in the morning at night and start using this. Was I willing? Well, yeah. The heat from my last um, hurrah with food and whatnot, I still had so much willingness at this point. And, um, you know, although we did go through the steps thoroughly, it was still fresh. I had, I want to say several weeks of abstinence by the time I got to step three. However, that despair was still just right in the back of my mind of where I was before I picked up the phone and reached out for help. Um, Once we've placed the key of willingness into the lock of the door we have ever so slightly opened, we find that we can always open it some more. And just a little experience to share here is I've been um, recovered now. It will be three years in February. And I like to share this story because my door was recently opened some more. Um, when I found out I was pregnant and the, um, the whirlwind of, uh, I, I just felt really out of control with the changes going on hormonally, physically, mentally. And I kind of had this idea that I didn't 
I, I didn't need help. But my um, my experiences that I did, and I'm so grateful I was able to reach out not only to my sponsor, but to my fellows and to my higher power. And, um, you know, again, was I willing to take some action? Absolutely. And what that looks like is that my practice today looks a lot different than it did six months ago. And it's good. It's good to remain for me to remain teachable and to know that this is fluid. What I need today might be different from what I'm going to need six months from now or a year from now. Um, moving on down to paragraph four. Um, I have every man and woman who has joined AA and intends to stick has, without realizing it, made a beginning on step three. Isn't it true that all matters touching upon alcohol, each of them has decided to turn his or her life over to the care and protection and guidance of Alcoholics Anonymous? And that really resonated with me because I believed you guys. Um, when I came to the program, I believed that you had what I wanted. I could hear it in your voices. I could see it in your physical bodies. I could, um, you know, it was like the God in you talking to the God in me. And then at the bottom of that paragraph, it talks about a newfound providence. And I love this word. It means protective care of God or of nature as a spiritual power. And that just really sums up the way I felt when working after working this step. I felt protected. I felt a care in my life of something that I had never experienced before. And I could only attribute it to this action I was taking of, of developing a practice of reaching out to a higher power that I didn't know anything about. But I believed that if it worked for you, it could work for me too. And then on paragraph five, page 36, it says, yes, respecting alcohol, I guess I have to be dependent upon AA, but in all other matters, I must still maintain my independence. And again, just reflecting back to the previous part that talks about it is through our dependence that we actually gain independence, our dependence upon God, um, it just reminds me, you know, this when I let go of the food and when I let God come into my life and, and help me with my food, it was like an experiment. I'm, I'm very much a scientist. Like, I want, I, want, I want proof. But there was the proof, you know. I wasn't picking up my alcoholic foods. I wasn't binging and purging. I wasn't spending hours at the gym. I was doing this thing, and they kept saying, you're going to – some people would share a slogan that was, you know, three meals a day and life in between. And I was starting to like feel that like, Oh, this is what life in between feels like. I'm not obsessively thinking about food or what I'm going to do with food or how I'm going to get the food or what I'm, how am I going to burn the calories? But instead it's like the space has opened up between my meal times, And that to me um, was just another layer of awakening. Um, and then there's part of that that asks the question. Let's see where it's at. I've got what what will become of me if I turn my life over 
to the care of a higher power. I guess in reference to that part that says I must still maintain my independence in other matters. But through my experimentation, you know, I've, I've found that it works in my home. It works in my relationships. It's worked in my marriage. My character defects have and are being removed. I'm less selfish. I'm more compassionate. I'm married to a man I want to be married to today. I love my kids. I'm not yelling as much. And all of those things are a result of that dependence upon a higher power. And then I just like to end with the the last sentence, which speaks so loudly for itself. Therefore, dependence, as AA practices it, is really a means of gaining true independence of the spirit. And for me, that's what I hold on to, that fact, that promise, that it is through the dependence that I gain the independence of the spirit. Grateful to be here this morning. Looking forward to hearing the other shares. Thanks. Thank you, Becca R. Much appreciated. I now welcome panelist number two, Chuck K. Chuck, star one to unmute. And here I am. Fabulous. Thanks. Sorry about that, Leah. My my name is Chuck K. I'm from Georgia. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm happy to be here this morning and share a little bit about this AA 12 and 12, almost said big book. And I want to begin at the last uh, couple of sentences in the paragraph before where it says, the more we become willing to depend upon a higher power, the more independent we actually are. Therefore, dependence, as AA practices it, is really a means of gaining true independence of the spirit. And I think that's important because one of the biggest gifts that OA gave me, working these steps gave me, was the awareness of my true self and how dependent I really was on things that were not good for me. And that awareness was extremely important in me continuing to to devote myself to working the the rest of these steps um, as they're laid out in the big book. And one of the things that was a, a, a practical lesson for me was the concept of forgiveness. And we know when we forgive someone, the person that's getting freed is is us, is me. And and it seems like the opposite of what should happen. You know, all my life, you know, I'd hold grudges and I would, you know, I would gossip and I'd do all of these things. When in essence, if I did the very thing that I didn't want to do, I would gain freedom. I'm going to give an example. Uh, on my wife's side, there are some family members that never accepted me. We came from a, a different religious background and they were of the belief that if I did not act and look and think and talk and walk like they did, then I was not an acceptable person to even associate with. And when you are treated in that way, it hurts. It hurts really bad, especially when you're young. We got married really young, and it was very difficult. 
And I believe for more than 20 years, what I would do is I would gossip about the about them, I would tell anybody that would listen the bad things that they did in my mind. And I did that for a long, long time. And then when I came in program about five years ago, I had to start saying the uh, resentment prayer to them and the sick man's prayer to them. And wouldn't you know, as soon as I started forgiving them, I became free. And I can think about that today. I no longer have that desire to gossip and to talk about them. You know, the stuff they did was true. And I wasn't to blame in a lot of it. There, there were things that I did, but on its face, I, I really didn't do a lot to earn what I got. But I don't have to think about that anymore. I don't get consumed by that anymore. And it's a wonderful feeling. And so the next paragraph, it says, let's examine for a moment this idea of dependence at the level of everyday living. In this area, it is, a, it is startling to discover how dependent we really are and how unconscious of that dependence. And wouldn't you know that describes me perfectly. I was unconscious of the dependence I had on those resentments that I carried for more than 20 years. And I think that's why the steps work. Because I was even unconscious. I can't even fix something if I'm unconscious of it. And when I would talk to people, they would say, oh, yeah, that's the most horrible thing I've ever heard. I can't believe you've got all these stories. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, can you believe how I'm treated? Now I have a better way, and it's through the working of these steps. Later in this paragraph, it talks about electric wiring, and it gives an example of how you know, dependent we are on electricity. And if we doubt that, let's look at it at its face. He brings up a polio survivor that's depending on his life for it you know, from an iron lung that has been run on electricity. And I think that's when it, we look at the independence of the spirit. When we are dependent on God, our spirit is free. When we work these steps and traditions and concepts in our lives and become dependent on these things, we are free to live our lives. And I have experienced that. And like that forgiveness, it doesn't seem like it should work. But so much of what we're reading in this middle part of the step three and the AA 12 and 12 is about the how and the why. And what? let's look at everything at its face. What does it really mean? Let's strip away my character defects and see what it says, see how people act. And then the next part, the next uh, paragraph, it talks about we are certain that our intelligence, backed by willpower, can rightly control our inner lives and guarantee us success in the world. This brave philosophy wherein each man plays God sounds good in the speaking, but it still has to meet the acid test. How well does it actually look? One good look in the mirror ought to be answer enough for any alcoholic. And boy, does that ring true for me. One look in the mirror shows me all I need to know about am I really right with the higher power of my understanding. And, you know, I went for decades also asking the God of my understanding to remove my weight, help me with my weight problem. And I got confused because you're supposed to ask for things, and this is a good thing to ask for, but it never happened. But at its face, all it took was one look, one look to know that something was, was amiss. And it took the working of these steps to figure out why. The why was, 
I was so busy wrapped up in playing God with everybody around me that I was trying to do God's work for them, and God didn't want me to do that. God loved me enough to have me learn the lessons that I need to learn and, and trudge the road I needed to trudge until he gifted me with this program that I could work. That was probably one of the best gifts I've ever had. And, and looking in the mirror was a part of that. And many times I'll talk to sponsees and I'll say, look in the mirror. Give yourself a good once over. Because many times religious people have a harder time with, with working of the steps and their powerlessness and their concept of God than atheists or agnostics because we think we know everything. That was certainly me. I thought I knew everything about God. I went to church. My kids go to church. My wife is the daughter of a, of a Southern Baptist primitive preacher. We, we know all about God. But when I look in the mirror, something else is reflected back at me. And there is the truth. There is the truth of the situation. And then moving on, it says, should his own image in the mirror be too awful to comp contemplate? And it usually is. He might first look at normal people and how, what they are getting from self-sufficiency. Now, I don't want to go too far down this road, but if we look at our world and our society right now, it is glaring that when we have the we are right and you are wrong mentality, everybody's trying to impose their will on everyone else. And boy, is it a shame. And boy, am I glad that I don't have to live my life that way. I have learned through programs that I can have different political, religious, uh, all the different types of characteristics, and I can be different from someone. But Tradition 1 tells me to, to, to unite with these people. What do I have in common with them versus what, where am I separate? And if it's a program person, then I have the ability to work with anyone to help the st still, still sick and suffering. And so when we look at the world and how we treat each other, we can be fortunate that we have a different way of living, a different set of choices. And it says that in the next paragraph. Therefore, we who are alcoholics can consider ourselves fortunate indeed. Each of us have had this own near-fatal encounter with the juggernaut. And what was the juggernaut? It wasn't food. It was my own selfishness. So it is by circumstance rather than by any virtue that we have been driven to AA or OA. And that's true. I am lucky that I... I uh, became involved with OA, my story is proof to me that it was by circumstance. God took some of the worst characteristics that I have, gossiping, self-centeredness, and used that as my awareness that a program called OA ever existed when I was about 41 years old. And then we'd start looking at the word dependence. And everybody wrinkles their nose at dependence. We don't want to be dependent on anything. But when we look at things, when we look at things at face value, and we are looking at the dependence on our concept of higher power and the AA group or the OA fellowship in our case, then we can be see, then we can see wonderful things happening. We can see groups of people coming together to help other people. 
and to be of service, our primary function, to be of service, sacrificing ourselves for another. And in our daily lives, sacrificing ourselves, understanding that God has got our backs and God has proven that over and over. And then in the last part, I like when Bill uses the examples that he has in front of him. He says, well, what does this dependence really do in practical purposes? And when he looks at the soldiers that have gone on to World War II, there must have been some type of analysis of those who were alcoholics out there in the war and some of the most stressful uh, circumstances that you can be in. And it says they have, e they have had even fewer alcoholic lapses or emotional binges than a, a safe at home did. So I have to take that at face value. That means somebody did some research, somebody talked to enough people to give this information in this book for me to understand. And what it says is, doesn't matter the situation. Life is going to continue to go on. People are going to die. Children are going to die. Things in this world are going to be grossly unfair to me and to others. And I'll never understand why, and no one will. But what I do understand is, if I have developed a relationship with the higher power of my understanding, I don't have to go that alone. And I don't have to know why things happen. I just know who I have to turn it into. I have to ask for the forgiveness, and I have to ask for the help with my character defects. And then I'm living my best life. So I really appreciate the, this middle part of this book. I appreciate the, the ability to look at things at the face value and understand how Bill used the information of his day to really look at things as they are, stripping away all of my character defects. So I think with that, I'll pass, and I really appreciate the opportunity to share, and thanks so much for asking me. Thank you very much, Chuck, for your share. I now welcome Dawn B. from California. Good morning. Good morning. This is Dawn B., a uh, recovered compulsive overeater from Southern California. <clears throat> and it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Thank you, Leah, so much for your faithful service and for making this possible and for the two um, previous speakers for your powerful messages of depth and weight. I wanted to start out by just giving a little background information uh, about myself. I started in OA back in the late 70s, if you can believe that. Um, I was in the program almost 35 years uh, before I was able to get abstinent um, for longer than three days here, seven days there, 21 days once or twice in almost 35 years. Uh, so if you think about it, failure in the program is my specialty. <laughs> it's what I've had the most experience in. But uh, miraculously, nine years ago, um, approximately, I finally realized that to the core of my being that this is a life or death issue for me. I came face to face with the fact that I have nothing ahead of me except a lot more pain, a lot more suffering and disease and an early death, or I need to put down the food and work this program like my life depends on it because it absolutely does. 
I need to grab hold of this program with all the enthusiasm of a drowning person, that they, that they grab hold of a life preserver and work it like my life depends on it, because it absolutely does. And only by God's grace am I now down over 100 pounds from my top weight, and I'm at a normal BMI and don't need to lose any more weight, and that is an absolute miracle. And to, by God's grace, be maintaining and abstaining and doing so happily, happily. It's mind-blowing. And I'm so truly grateful. Um, I'm also a, uh, a mom, a wife. A, um, I'm a mom of four young adult children. Um, three of them have autism. And two of them also have mental illness. And so this program has been a life-or-death issue for me for maintaining my emotional sobriety, and it's been just a tremendous, tremendous gift. So looking at the AA 12 and 12, um, starting on page 39 there, um, in that first paragraph, it starts out, so how exactly can the willing person continue to turn his will and his life over to a higher power. <clears throat> and uh, it says that uh, abstinence, excuse me, <clears throat> abstinence is just the beginning. It's a bare start. And that's when we start in the program. And, um, but it's just the beginning of us turning our will and our lives our thinking and our actions over to a higher power. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, Bill is writing this portion of the AA uh, 12 and 12 approximately 15 years after the big book was written. So he has a lot more um, life experience under his belt um, as he writes this. Excuse me. So it's with great interest that I'm um, reading the 12 and 12 and trying to um, uh, find out, you know, how myself as well, I can continue to work this program uh, like my hair is on fire. And uh, so how can I continuously uh, turn my will and my life, my thinking and my actions over to the care of my higher power? Uh, step three is the decision. So it's like jumping off the diving board. Uh, and once I get in the water, that's my living out of step three on a daily basis, moment by moment. And so just how is that done? Uh, and then, and particularly, how is that done for at the bottom on page 39 where it says, um, how is that done to achieve permanent sobriety in a contented and useful life? Because that's what we want. That's certainly what I want. And then the next sentence, it says that that is just where the remaining steps of the AA program come in. Nothing short of continuous action upon these as a way of life can bring the much desired result. So this tells me that I must be um, continuously working the steps the following steps uh, in order to bring about 
this permanent sobriety and uh, contented and useful life. Uh, and then it is explained that the other steps of AA program can be practiced with success only when step three is given a determined and persistent trial. So what is it about step three that needs to be given the determined and persistent trial? What do I need to be focusing on? Um, so let's take a look at the big book on page 62. And we're going to look at the heart of step three for me. Um, so it says selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our trouble. So I always pay attention when it says root, because that's like blinking lights, you know, flashing lights. Pay attention to this. My selfishness, my self-centeredness, uh, that is the root of my trouble my problems. And it says, so my troubles, we think, are basically of my own making. And I like to put it in the first person. Helps me to to uh, uh, understand it better. My troubles are of my own making. They arise out of myself. And I am an extreme example of self-will run riot. Self-will run riot. So my issue is and as it says uh, next in our paragraph on the tw a, a 12 and 12, what I have been spending most of my time doing, uh, especially before program and uh, somewhat after program, is that I've been focusing on putting my will into trying to get my problems to change. I've been focusing on trying to change the other person. I've been focusing on how my husband needs to change, how my children need to be different, how, um, you know, life needs to have gone differently than it did. And that's been my uh, use of my will. That's me trying to change the things that I could not and, and uh, ramming my head into them, trying to get them to move. So what is it that I need to be doing instead? Well, uh, going on in the big book on the bottom of page 62, this is the how and the why of it. First of all, and again, this is that the they're using first. That's another like flashing light for me. I really need to pay attention to this. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. <sighs> yes. Uh Early on in meetings of OA, I would sometimes introduce myself as, uh, hi, my name is Dawn, and I'm a recovering higher power. Uh, and, um, you know, a little get a little laughter there, but it was actually true. I realized that's what I've been trying to do. I'm trying to pretend that I'm in charge, and, um, and it just does not work. So I had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. God is going to be my director. Uh, God is the principal, and we are his agents. He is the father. We are his children. Most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. I love this. Uh, so in the director of the show, director, God being my director now, so God is the one running the show, calling his shots, deciding what the storyline is, 
and passing out the scripts. And so I'm handed the script. And um, so now from here on out, rather than me deciding, you know, what my knee-jerk reaction of how I'm going to respond to try to get my way, I am instead only looking for what is my higher power's way. Um, What is my higher power's uh, will and desires? And that's what I'm going to be focusing on. God is the director. I'm no longer the actor. So when... Uh, sometimes I'll think of, well, me trying to play the actor is uh, trying to run the show. It's like, well, the director gets up, goes use the restroom, and I run over to the director's chair, and I squeeze into the director's chair, and I start yelling at all the actors that they're not doing it right and that they need to be doing it differently. My husband needs to be doing things you know, more like I want. My children need to be different. Um, and that just doesn't work. And so now that's no longer my job. So instead, I am uh, pausing in those moments of confusion when I'm feeling agitated and I'm asking, God, what would you have me say here? What's my line? What would you have me say here? Help me to see this situation more like you see it. Help me to see my husband more like you see my husband. Help me to love him more like you would delight in me loving him. How would you have me be in this situation? And so it says, uh, he is the principal, we are his agents. So what that means is that um, the principal and the agent, that's something more from like the financial realm of Bill W. writing here. So the principal uh, and the agent, the agent works for the principal's best interest. So the agent is bound by law to uh, work for the what the principal's uh, best interest is, not for his own. So now I am bound to work for my higher power's best interest. What's God's greater good? And to ask for that, uh, to see the situation. Help me, God, to see the situation more like you see it and not like uh, my knee-jerk reaction is. You know, just to pause and in that silence ask for God's perspective. Help me to see this more like you would have me see it. So God is the Father. We are His, we are his children. So that's the, God is the perfect parent, my daddy. Um, and I am being taken care of. I don't have to worry. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone. And the keystone is significant as well because if you think of an arch, that center top portion, that center top stone, and often it's wedge-shaped, is called the keystone. And that keystone holds the entire arch up. So this idea of me not playing God, uh, me not trying to run the show, is the center Uh, most important thought that we can hold in our minds that will support this triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. Wow. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing there. So uh, instead of me trying to change the world and trying to get circumstances to be different than they are or to think that I know what's best think that I know what needs to happen next, not only for me and for others, and torturing myself really with those ideas, I'm now pausing 
and I'm asking for my higher powers perspective. And I'm now uh, saying, whatever it is, God, I accept it, I welcome it, and I say thank you. Whatever is to come, my only agenda is your will, God. What would you have me do here? What would you have me say? And so I'm holding on. I picture myself holding on to God's hand as I walk throughout the day. And I'm asking, I'm pausing, I'm asking, what would you have me do here? What's my line? What would you have me say? Help me to see this situation more like you see it, God. Help me to love this person and see this person more like you love them, more like you see them. What would you have me say? Please help me, God. Help me to do your will and not mine. And that is so wonderful. And so as it goes on to the end of, uh, and further on page 40 there in the AA 12 and 12, the uh, last full paragraph, it says, when we, when we try to make our will conform with God's, that's when we begin to use it rightly. So no longer am I trying to get the world uh, and other people to be as I want, have this list of demands of how I need life to be in order for me to be okay and try to get people to be that way. Now I am using my will. My effort throughout the day is to um, conform my will to God's. And uh, in on page 85, it gives us, uh, this is another, it's like flashing words on the page. It says the word constantly three times. Uh, and it's talking about step 11, what we're to be doing, you know, throughout the day to enhance this connection with God, to be continuing to turn our will and our lives over to God. So it says the word constantly three times. So what, let's look at those flashing lights and see what it has to say to us. So the paragraph uh, it's the first full paragraph there on page 85. It's easy to let up on spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. So throughout the day, many times each day, I'm going to be pausing and I'm going to ask God, God, how can I best serve your will and your purposes here? What's my line? What would you have me say? Your will be done, not mine. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. Wow. And then it says, we can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish, for it's the proper use of the will. The proper use of the will. And then it talks about prayer and meditation uh, and how we are to be using that constantly throughout the day. Um, and it says, the other constantly is on the top of page 86. We're talking about prayer and meditation. And then finally, the bottom of page 87 as we go throughout the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful, and we ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show, humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, Thy will be done. So that's what I'm doing throughout the day. I'm pausing. I'm asking for God's will. 
and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So uh, at the bottom of um, page 40, then, it says, uh, once we have come into agreement with these ideas, um, it is really easy to begin the practice of step three in all times of emotional disturbance or indecision. We can pause and we can ask for quiet and in the stillness simply say, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. God, what's my line? What would you have me say here? Help me to see this situation more like you do. Help me to see this person more like you see them. Help me to love them as you would delight in me loving them. Hold my hand, God, as I'm walking through this day. May your will be done, not mine. And that's how we can live out our third step throughout the day. Thank you so much for allowing me to share, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Dawn B. Thank you to all our panelists this morning, Becca R., Chuck K., Dawn B., for your generous service, opening your hearts and offering your inspirational shares and personal insights with all of us this morning. Greatly appreciated. Very touching. Share ID for this morning's presentation, 16,212. That's 16212. Panelist contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that. And we will now transition to question and answer segment. You can pose a question to one of our panelists by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Elizabeth Annie. Wendy B. Wendy B. Did you get Freya H? Freya H. Melissa G. Melissa G. Did you get Elizabeth D? I did. Thank you, Elizabeth. Yes. Jody E. Mm-hmm. Jody. Anyone else? Star one, none mute. Okay, thus far we have Elizabeth D, Wendy B, Freya H, Melissa G, and Jody E. Questions only, please. Everybody mute except for Elizabeth D. Thanks, Leah. Uh, can I be heard? Yes. Thank you so much for your service, um, Leah, uh, as always. And thank you to the panelists. Um, this uh, was a really important um, special edition right now for me, and I'm very grateful to you, the three of you. So um, I want to ask um, for any of you to comment. Um, Chuck uh, said um, something that really just kind of popped out. He said, I had to let go of my dependence on things that aren't good for me. Um, and boy, that's certainly true for me. I had to give up, uh, I had to become abstinent. But what's coming up for me this morning and what I'm hoping you can comment on is um, that I also have to give up things that 
dependence on things that are good for me. I'm in a very stable, long-term relationship with a wonderful man, and lately I've been feeling like I'm not getting enough attention from him. And what I'm getting today from this special edition is, you know, man or no man, et cetera, dependence on a higher power is the most single most important thing in my life. So I'd like to hear any comments you have about um, let, letting go of dependence on the good things in your life, if, uh, if that makes any sense. Thanks. Which panelists would like to address Elizabeth's question? Hey, it's Becca R. I'll take that question. Go right ahead. Okay. So I, that's a great question. You know, it's really easy to let go of dependence on things that could be hurtful or harmful. It's really hard to let go of dependence upon things that can appear good. Um, and I think for me, I think about the uh, approval, constantly seeking approval in other people. Um, and the more I lean into this relationship with a higher power, the less I need that approval. And sometimes that can appear like I don't need the person. But I, you know, to maintain a relationship and and to change the dynamics from approval seeking or wanting you to okay me or tell me I'm okay, it can change the dynamic in, in a very healthy way. I think specifically with um, my mother, who's always only wanted the best for me, but as an adult woman, you know, in the last few years of, of recovery, I, I have really stopped seeking that approval from her um, and seeking it seeking my approval through my higher power is um, is where I'm at now. I don't I don't need her approval of me, rather my higher power. And um and so I think of it as just a, a practice of, of you know changing the dynamic of a relationship. Um, I hope that helps. Thanks. Thank you, Elizabeth D for your question. Wendy B your turn. Yeah, hi, this is Wendy B in Arizona and um this question is for Dawn and I just want to thank you so much for your beautiful share. I could really feel God coming through your words. And when you said um okay, my my effort throughout the day to get my will to conform to God's will using our is using our will rightly. So I was wondering if you could give me um, like a real life example of doing that, you know, like, and, and God's response, you know, you know, asking him, you know, how he would, he would have me be, if I could see an example of that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that question, Wendy B. And uh, yes, um, I do have a real life example. Um, and that would come through a 10th step that, um, that I, uh, did. And actually it was, um, in regards to my fear of sharing on this meeting. <laughs> and, uh, so writing up a 10th step about it, um, 
So my fear was that, um, you know, that I would make a mistake and make mistakes aren't okay. So why do I have the fear? Um, I was telling myself, if I make a mistake, that means I'm less valuable. And that means I'm a bad person, not worthy of love. And obviously that's not true. But that's, if I can find the lie that I'm telling myself, oftentimes if I have a fear or if I have a resentment, it's because I'm telling myself something that's not true. And if I can find that statement, that is super, super helpful. Um, and then, uh, so I asked myself, where is my trust and reliance? Is it on infinite God or finite self? Definitely on my finite self. Does self-reliance work? Absolutely not. God, please remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. And then I pause and ask what God would have me be. And then um, I I responded with uh, relaxed and calm. And even saying these words, it just relaxes my heart. Uh, Trusting in the power. Oh, so then I asked myself as well, not only what God would have me be, but if my higher power were to speak directly to me regarding this issue, what might my higher power say? And that's something that I can also, um, you know, pause and and uh, and wait for uh, my higher power to respond. And what my higher power responded with is, um, God would have me be uh, trusting in the power of my love for you, Dawn. My love for you is the greatest power that exists. I am your security. I am your value. And you are my precious daughter. And I delight in you being exactly as you are, just as I created you to be. The truth about your value is found in my eyes only. And only my opinion of you matters. You are infinitely valuable. You are mine. I designed you to make mistakes. They are the key that will open the door to new and deeper learning. I love you, Donnie, more than you can understand. All is well. You don't need to worry. All is well. And so, um, you know, just doing that is uh, something that helps me tremendously um, turn my thinking and my actions, my will, and my life over to my higher power and to hear from my higher power uh, through the working of the steps. Um, so that's that's all I have. I hope that was uh, helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy B. Freya H., star one to unmute. Good morning. This is Freya H. in Colorado. Thank you to all the panelists for your um, your shares this morning. And my question is for anyone who feels inspired to answer. I just love to hear about when you work with others, how you approach this step, and particularly if someone is hesitant or struggling, um, are there you know any other resources or practices that you rely on, how you handle that? Which panelists would like to respond to Freya's question? This is Chuck. I can. I can. Thank you, Chuck. So when I'm working with a sponsee, we got to remember. Um, I work with sponsees through the Big Book, and we've had five chapters of the book 
getting us up to step number three. And those five chapters deal with step one and two primarily. And step three is a very short portion, maybe half of how it works. Uh, I'm not sure 100% of that, but it, it's a small part before we get into step four. And really it's important to remember that it's just simply a decision. That's all step three is. Step three is a decision to work the rest of the steps for the rest of my life. And funny, funny enough, um, right now I have about six sponsees, and five of them have relapsed in the past couple of weeks. And, you know, to them, it's this horrible thing. Oh, my gosh, how, how and why could I have done what I have done? And my answer to that question is always the same. And it's the same answer that's there for me. It's because I'm a compulsive overeater. So I'm either eating a triggering food or engaging in a triggering food behavior, or I'm not working the steps to the best of my ability. Those are the only two reasons that I relapse in the food. Um, and I think that's important to remember. So going back to the question, step three is simply a decision. But as we know, a decision isn't enough. You, you know, we all know that story about the frogs and if three frogs make a decision, you know, to jump, or one frog makes a decision to jump off the log, how many frogs are there? And the answer is three because they never took the action. And so that's, that's an important part of step three. The decision is not enough. And when I look back on my life, I couldn't tell you how many times I made a decision to do something and I never did it. You know, I'm going to, particularly about exercise, I'd say, oh, when I get up today, when I get home from work, I'm going to go walk. And I must have said that to myself a thousand times and never walked. And so the action uh, that, is in, that is required of steps 4 through 12 is what I need to support my decision in step 3. So I allow the action to do the work. And it's important for me to remember, I don't have to know why this works. I don't have to feel a certain way about this. I don't know how to feel, if I'm honest with myself. I can't differentiate between the right and the wrong. So I just have to work on faith. Faith is that which I can't see and I can't prove. When I don't feel like doing something, I do it anyway. When I feel stubborn about something and, and I want to put it off, I do it anyway. That's the action that I can take that's based on the 12 steps that's required to fulfill step three in my life. And so it's very important, and I, I try to explain this to the best of my ability. The decision is important, but the decision is just a, a small part of what's required because the action that I take is, is how that decision comes into my life and how it looks. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Freya H., for your question. Melissa G., star one to unmute to pose your question. Hi, um, this is Melissa G. from Michigan. Um, thank you for all the panelists for your shares. I really appreciate it. Um, I think my question is for Chuck, although everybody can answer or anybody um, I'm not biased, but Chuck, I thought I heard you say something about um, how coming into the program you had 
you know, a religion and a relationship with God, but that once you came in, you realized um, something more was needed. And please, I apologize if I'm not quoting correctly. Um, so I just kind of wanted to hear a little bit more about like what the aha moment was that um, the relationship we're seeking in programs sometimes needs to be more than what we come in with. Okay, I hope that makes sense. Thanks. Hey, thank you for that question. I'm fumbling with these buttons, so I didn't quite catch your name, so I apologize for that. But when I was in program, I've been in program for five years, and the first time I worked the steps through, uh, I was commenting. We were at a restaurant, of all places, doing my, uh, doing my work. And I remember sitting there telling this, this person, I know all about God. You know, I've gone to church all my life, like my parents had me go, and my kids go to church. I always like to mention that my wife is a, the daughter of a Southern Baptist preacher, so I know all the ways you get to go to hell. I know every one. And I said, you know, I know what I need to know about God. And now I realize that contempt prior to investigation was so powerful in my life. And that's why I say I have seen in my life and in the lives of a lot of people that I've helped that when I think I know something, I'm in the absolute most danger that I'm ever in. And that includes when I think I know something about the big book, when I think I know something about my religious textbook, when I think I know something about God, because what's happened is I've closed my mind off. And when my sponsor at that time asked me that question, well, if you've got such a good relationship, why haven't you been helped with this weight problem? And I thought, well, you know what? That's a damn good question to ask because I've asked that myself for the same for the, the same times over and over and over again. Why hasn't God helped me with my weight? I am a six foot four person, and at the time I weighed probably four hundred pounds or more. And all it took was a look in the mirror to see the truth about something was was amiss. Something was was wrong. God didn't want me to live in this body that I was abusing on a daily basis, purging and binging and just acting crazy with food. And, you know, this is an area that I got an answer because a lot of this we don't get answers for. We just have to go by faith. And the answer was it was God loved me. God loved me. When my son, my youngest son, couldn't tie his shoes and wanted Grandma and Grandpa to buy him Velcro shoes and his mom and dad, we said, no, you're not doing that. You're going to learn to tie your shoes. My son couldn't see what me and his, me and his mother, my wife, thought could see. He didn't know what we knew. We knew he had to learn that as a skill, and it required a little bit of pain. So to him, we were being a mean mommy and daddy. But again, we could see what he couldn't, and we knew what he didn't know. And I think that's what God, how he treats us as children. That's how my higher power treats us. He wants me to stay out of the God business. I love that comment when someone said a recovering higher power. I thought that was a good one because that's what I was. I was so busy playing God, I wasn't taking care of myself in an appropriate way. And so uh, it was a wonderful experience. I look back on it and I smile. You know, I thought I knew everything, but I didn't. 
you know, my, my character assets were being subverted and they were turning into character defects by the way I was using them. And through the power and the working of the steps and realizing that I don't know everything, was I able to get freedom of spirit and a kind heart and not yelling at everybody and telling everybody what to do. So I hope that answers your question, and thank you for the question. Thank you, Melissa G. Jody E., your turn. Thank you so much, Leah, and thank you, everyone, for your beautiful shares. My question is for Dawn B. Dawn, I just really appreciated your uh, discussion of how to turn one's life and will over to the care of God. Was there ever something you thought you wanted out of life that you still haven't gotten, that you still have trouble letting go of? Any little plan or design you had for your life that has not yet come true? Or do you find that by doing this work, by truly surrendering and turning your will and your life over, that indeed you are getting what you thought you wanted and needed? Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Jody E., for that question. And <clears throat> yes. Um, there are recurring things that, you know, continue to rear their heads uh, every once in a while. And then what I do is just continue, uh, just continue to turn it over to my higher power, continue to to um, ask for God's perspective. Uh, for example, with my children, you know, um, wishing things had been different with their autism and mental illness, you know, um, worrying about their future. And so, um, you know, it's a 10th step that I continue to do. And um, what the beautiful thing in doing that 10th step, um, you know, God reminds me, my higher power reminds me um, to ask to clear my mind and to see the situation more like God sees it, um, to see autism more like God sees autism, to see mental illness more like God sees it. And whereas I had thought, you know, well, that means it's a life less valuable. It means, you know, um, that maybe a greater good can't be brought out of that. And then I'm reminded that no, in God's eyes, my children are perfect. They are beautiful. They are successful. They are infinitely loved. And they are exactly as God delights in them being. Uh, and so with that um, as well, the learning is for me that, uh, you know, I myself in those broken parts of myself, I can see those parts as well as um, beautiful, as loved, as being exactly as God delights in them being. And I can see those parts of myself as loved beyond measure and that God is going to be using 
even the um, brokenness, the challenges, uh, for a greater good. And that uh, reminded me that I don't know, you know, what needs to be happening for my higher, for the greater good to be the end result. I don't know uh, what somebody's journey here needs to look like. And for me to try to think that, um, you know, I see the big picture. The truth is I'm blind, but my higher power sees perfectly. And maybe, um, you know, a struggle that my children are going through, you know, is exactly what needed to happen in order for them and for our whole family to learn and grow in ways that we simply would not have had that situation been any different. Um, so I hope that answers your question. Thank you so much for it. Thank you, Thank Jody. You. Mm-hmm. We have time for two more questions. Anyone else with something on their mind? Star one, none of you. Pete. Anyone else? Hannah S. Toby K. Was that Hannah S? Yes. Okay. Okay, we're going to take Pete B. and Hannah S. Go ahead, Pete. Thank you, Leah. Pete B., Compulsive Overeater. My question uh, to the panel, first of all, everybody did a really great job. I really, really, uh, really deep and heavy. But does it say anywhere in the big book or in the 12 and 12 or any kind of pamphlet that step three is just a decision to do steps four through 12 for the rest of our life? Who would like to respond to Pete's question? Hey, Pete, this is Chuck. I'm the one that said that. And I don't know, um, I've heard that, but I don't know that that is in the big book or that's in any pamphlet, but that's what makes sense to me. So um, I've heard it said, and you've probably heard the same person that I have say it, but I don't know that I've read it in the big book anywhere, no. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. And our final question for the morning comes from Hannah S. Yes, thank you. Thank you to all of the people that spoke. It was really very powerful. I My question is this, and I'm not exactly sure who to ask it to because I guess I would ask that if somebody's had the actual experience with this, they would be the person to answer. But you know, we talk a lot about how we're supposed to view other people, treat other people, but my experience in recovery, and it's pretty extensive and successful in many ways, and some totally successful, but there's this emotional piece that I have not been able to um, get over, really. Some of it does some from trauma, um, but if I would say, the like what Don was saying about you know, the way to look at other people and how God would have us look at other people. I have a lot of trouble doing that for my own self. And I know I'm not alone because in 1958, um, Bill Wilson writes in the grapevine into a letter about the next frontier being emotional sobriety, which is a little bit confusing being that one would think I'll take the steps and I will get to that place. So what I've come to in recovery is I'm able to treat other people 
uh, way way better, but I've never quite been able to get that together for my own self, and it causes me tremendous problems. So just wondering if anybody has been, if I'm going to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, it means me too, and I've not really been able to do that, and the literature doesn't really address that very much. So if anybody's had experience with that, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. Any panelists like to respond? This is Chuck K. I'll I'll take a I'll, please I'll go ahead. A, um, speaker. So, a lot of times I can see this in others more easily than I can see it in myself, and and, and what's coming out to me is is a person that's had something unfair happen to them and they can't understand why. And one of the questions that I ask them is, put yourself in another person's shoes. Say, take your best friend or your child or whatever. If they knew or if you knew that they were struggling with this thing like you are, like you know you are internally, what would you say to them? And, of course, the response is, well, we want to be kind to other people. We don't want other people suffering in that way. But it's odd that we can look past our own suffering. And I, I think what makes sense to me with this question is, uh, at the first part of my share, it talked about straightening out spiritually. And when we straighten out spiritually, the emotional and the physical healing can come in. And I, And I think that might be some of the problem. And the way I see it in my life is when when I talked about having a uh, not having a problem with my higher power, but then I did that exercise where I did the job description and I described the way I felt about God and that kind of thing. And without even noticing it, my sponsor said, well, you know what? Your concept of God seems a lot like how you think your father thinks of you. And that was profound for me. And once I was able to get past that and understand that my God was not my dad. My dad was very critical. He's a good guy, loved me, but very, very critical in nature. And uh, that began a healing process with the higher power. That was one of the conceptions that I that needed to change that I wasn't even aware of. So I don't know if there is an answer to the question you've asked, but I would say that once you're able to heal spiritually, well, how do you do that? Well, you take it on faith that these steps are going to work, and you work the steps exactly as prescribed by the big book. And, you know, the purpose of the big book is for you to find a higher power that can solve your problem. And I think that's the answer. So I think the answer is just working the steps to the best of my ability and trusting that they're going to work. They may not work in the time frame I want them to work. They may not work how I want them to work, and I may not be able to see things the way I thought I wanted to, but that's okay. Um, and I think that's the best answer I have for that question, and thank you for asking it. I hope that helps you. Thank you, Hannah S. Thanks to everybody who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you to our three panelists, Becca, Chuck, and Dawn, for your beautiful and generous shares this morning on your reflections and experience with Step 3. Much appreciated. 
Share ID for this morning's presentation, 16,212. That's 16212. We're going to close now from page 164. You'll find it in AA's basic text, the big book, in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.